Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, and I have edited and published the website theweeklydriver.com since 2004. My friend and co-host is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a repeat guest, Joe Weisenfelder, who is the executive editor of cars.com, and Joe just returned uh, recently from... I don't know, maybe the, maybe the most prominent auto show in the country, certainly among the top three or four with L.A., Chicago, and he was at the New York Auto Show. So, Joe, um, welcome back to our podcast. We can't wait to jump in to um, hear about your experience at New York. So thanks again for being available. Sure thing. Um, how long ago did you return from New York? And um, I get, obviously it's, it's, they had, must have had some restrictions on COVID, but can you give us a good overview of, um, New York back to its, uh, former prominence in terms of auto shows? Well, uh, the media days were, um, well, actually there was, there was technically just one media day, which was the 13th of April, Wednesday. Yes. Uh, Thursday, the 14th was a, an industry day, but we were certainly there, you know, you know, tying loose ends and doing some more videos and stuff like that for cars.com because the vehicles were available. Uh, you know, the show kind of reminded us of two versions of the Chicago show. Uh, it reminded us of the more recent Chicago shows because the cars were kind of spread out a little bit more. <laughs> yes. Um, and that is something that happened um, in Chicago in February because the auto show circuit is a big machine and it is going to take a while to get rolling again. And there's also the microchip shortage and, and supply line issues that are making vehicles less, you know, available. So there were not as many vehicles. Um, granted, there's less space in New York city than there is at the Chicago show, but even so there, there were just fewer vehicles. Um, and the reason I say it's a little bit more like Chicago is for those people who cover the shows that have news actual like introductions at the show which is detroit historically detroit chicago los angeles and new york uh know that chicago is typically a little bit lighter on news and this show was a little bit light um as i mentioned one media day and things were were pretty wrapped up by uh you know mid-afternoon gotcha does part of that is the manufacturers not spending as much do you think for booths and displays and people or or something something else uh keeping I think it's do. all related to, to the same kind of stuff, which is, for one thing, just progress has been stalled to an extent by the pandemic and the lingering effects of the pandemic and endemic, as we're now calling it. Um, and the other is that, uh, remember, even before the pandemic started, that some manufacturers were getting out of this game. Um, a lot of uh, luxury manufacturers in particular were starting to shy away from auto shows. And it's particularly noticeable in New York City because New York tended to have uh, a lot more luxury. It was luxury heavy as the shows go. You'd have your BMW, your Mercedes, your Porsche, all that. None of them were there. Wow. Uh, so, but bear in mind, I think a lot of these companies have been burned in the past by preparing for and contracting for spending money on shows that end up getting canceled. It happened in just this past August of 2021. The New York Auto Show was going to happen in August, which is not the typical time of year. And I think it was probably two weeks before that, 
that it had to be canceled because there was an uptick in uh, um, cases uh, of COVID-19. So I, I kind of understand why certain manufacturers might just say, eh, I'm going to sit this one out. That is a good point. Yep. You're probably yeah. right on that one. Yeah, the public doesn't, well, maybe maybe some of the public knows what goes on behind the scenes, but you've used the word machine, and it's apropos of what we've experienced at the LA Auto Show. It's a big deal. They have to bring all the stuff in and the preparation, the deposits for space, and, and all of the things that you mentioned, outdoor exhibits, indoor, catering. It's labor-intensive, uh, too. Labor-intensive. Ambassadors and Ambassadors, all. all that kind of stuff. So I had kind of forgotten mm -hmm. about that. It's a business, and... Uh, whether it's for yep. the public or the media or both, it's it's a big it's a big expenditure for some of those uh, luxury companies and all the other guys too. But I noticed uh, Bentley, for example, Ferrari, um, Aston Martin. I think though they were they've all been absent from L.A. for a few years yes. now. But yeah, and I, I, I mean Chicago tried to soften the blow uh, when they had their first show um, to kind of bring back auto shows after the pandemic. Had had been uh, around for more than a year by shortening the, the the amount of time it would take to load in to like a day or something, a day and a half. So, idea being, if it got canceled, then then there was less money at stake, et cetera. So, these are the kind of things that that uh, the companies have to think about now. Yes, the the positive side was probably electrics. Probably everybody's touting their electric. What's your take on the new electrics? It was uh, super. EV heavy, and and we and it's been leaning in that regard uh, for you know a few years already. As it regards introductions, I mean, remember my focus and my my I'm going to be a little bit skewed in, in in the area of introductions for a media day. I mean, the floor was still covered with uh, um, vehicles that run on gasoline, certainly, but for introductions, lots of EVs. Um, it, it, it was like kind of light, lighter than ever on uh, luxury, but heavier than ever on EVs. And I, I want to point one thing out. There were EV test tracks where you can ride along inside uh, with EVs. And what stood out to me is, aside from the fact that uh, Hyundai had its own upstairs, um, um, which is the main floor, you know, they have that basement floor in New York, and there were, I think, seven or eight different electric car models that you could ride in. And that is a big deal because in just in Chicago uh, earlier this year, there were only two on that track. So it seems like that idea is starting to really catch on, and it's an important one. Sure. You, uh, I've got uh, some press information from cars.com that you, as you've done for a while now, introduced a new EV guide and picked your top five uh, EVs. Um, I guess it's an appropriate time to, to talk about those two things that you guys have introduced. Um, has your EV guide changed um, in the last three or five years? Have some cars, some vehicles come on it? Some people have left it. Some cars have left. Give us a, an idea well, of the new EV guide. Well, what we've done is this, buy, this buying guide is, it's really not the only thing of its type that we've ever done, but I think it's the first time we've called it an EV buying guide. And what we've done for the first time is we've made some picks of top EVs for particular types of buyer. Yes. Because uh, we always have our awards, yes. annual awards. And the thing is... We, and we had an, uh, an EV, one EV award. But we realized when people are looking for an EV, they tend to be looking just for that, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
once you get you establish that someone wants an EV, then there's still those other questions we always have that we we usually you know categorize our uh, awards for things like families or um, luxury and stuff like that. So we did some picks based on that. So we have a family, a top pick for family in the EV uh, under the EV umbrella, top pick for luxury, top pick for commuters, uh, and uh, best value. These are all kind of offshoots of what we usually do for awards, but with the understanding that if someone is looking for an EV, they want to find some of those specific uses as well. How does the Nissan Leaf fit in there these days? Do you recall? Um, Nissan Leaf was not one of the picks, and, and oh, okay. main reason main reason is that we only had four or five of them, and we generally went with newer uh, and larger vehicles. It seems like the American public has been waiting for something more like what they buy uh, uh, in gas form, which is a, a small SUV. Um, and some of them don't really look like SUVs, but uh, that's really what we're seeing a lot of. Like you look at the Volkswagen ID4, um, arguably an SUV, that was our value pick. Uh, with all-wheel drive, you can't beat it uh, in the EV space. Uh, price-wise. Uh, the Hyundai Ioniq 5, also new, was our pick for families because it is roomy and rides very comfortably. Um, and generally speaking, the Leaf has not... Um, it, it's smaller. Uh, it has not... Uh, I, I don't think it's aged that well. It's still certainly viable, and there's so much demand out there for EVs that they're probably still selling them. Uh, there was... Uh, press release went out that they did make some changes to it for 2023, but it, it was just some sheet metal stuff. We were kind of expecting them to do more. Um, you could almost expect them to uh, put that one out to pasture and move on to other things like the Aria small SUV, which I don't think anyone has actually driven yet, um, which really made me question why, if they were going to change anything, why did they just change the sheet metal? I mean, okay. I would have almost expected them to just let it, you know, let it, quietly go off into the, into that dark night. Well, I agree with everything you said. That's kind of why I picked the leaf because to me it, it is like it's out the pasture and, <laughs> and, you know, and they never put enough battery in it. Uh, it didn't have the range. It looked funny. It just, it didn't seem like Bible. it was there anymore. Yep. And uh, you well, agree. Cars.com bought, bought one of the first ones in, in 2011. Actually, it might've bought it at the end of 2010. Uh, and that's how we learned that, you can actually get by with very little range, but that isn't necessarily going to convince someone that isn't familiar with EVs. But there's a lot. It left a lot on the table. I mean, it, it didn't charge very fast, uh, it, it, and it still doesn't relative to other things out there. It um, doesn't have thermal management for the battery pack, which I think I'm going to say literally every other EV on the market does, uh, and for good reason because it, it – it maximizes charging time and, and longevity of the battery pack. So I, I don't, I mean, to, to put it, to put a fine point on it, uh, one of our reviewers did a review of, of the, of the leaf about a, a year ago. It was before there were all these others and said, uh, it's the most affordable, um, EV on the market, but it's still not affordable enough. <laughs> it's well said. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's closer to a golf cart than it is a, a viable car. Perhaps only outdone in its inefficiency by the first EV I drove, which was the Mitsubishi 
I-M-I-E-V, I think they called it, with a... 70- yeah, the I, the I, the I-M-E-V, yeah. Yeah, I-M-E-V, and a 72-mile range, I think it was, if you're going 20 miles an hour. <laughs> we drove it to the Bay Area one time. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, that, God, was, it was a that frightening. was a trip, yeah. Um, and I think, they, yeah. I think they still make them, I'm not sure, but it was... It was uh, very, uh, very bad first experience with EVs. Well, uh, look how far they've come now, though. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw a uh, article on your on Cars dot com uh, of the new, the new Chevy. I don't know if they call it a Silverado, but the the, the new Chevy pickup truck, Silverado EV, Silverado EV, with the four wheel steer and all the um, luxury and all the tech that's on that what a what a great article and the accompanying uh, video of that truck in action oh glad you liked it yeah it's um it's fascinating that they're now going into into pickups um ford f-150 lightning pickup and and that'll that'll come sooner uh and then the chevy silverado ev as well i i i think there's a real future for electric pickups for commercial purposes in particular because um on 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 some level it's not it's not necessarily for everyone because there are limitations there are range limitations but some pickups are used for a known distance they are parked centrally where they can charge uh you know there's more cost to to electric vehicles and and arguably a business can can uh, afford that upfront cost and then amortize it. I it just, there's certain aspects of commercial use that will pay off. The question mark is once that initial rush of, you know, early adopters has passed with electric pickup trucks, how will they do with today's conventional pickup owners that are, that are driving gas versions of the same. And I, I mean, one of the biggest questions remains, and, and I wish we had had the chance to find out what happens when you tow with an electric vehicle. Um, that's, that's your 400, range. your 400 miles becomes a 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes 200 or 300, but sure, it, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure it depends on the, on the aerodynamics of the trailer. I, I, I do suspect it's an aerodynamics issue more than anything. I contribute uh, articles to a friend's website. It's called rvtravel.com, mm-hmm. and, and his experts uh, that write about RVs, I don't know anything about RVs. Bruce and his wife have a, a new one. Um, but there is a guy, I think, who's going to tackle that issue about uh, you know range anxiety if you're towing something with your with your ev and he's uh Mm -hmm. has more expertise than i i don't know anything about that but i think he's tackling that exact point right now with a series of articles on uh, on rvtravel.com but i've seen that they're also talking about uh, um putting motors in the rv itself oh and they'd be drive wheels i didn't know that push you yeah yeah, that could be, that would be that might be helpful. I, I've seen some of that as well. I mean, and, and one of the weird things about electrics is that they can both be extremely powerful uh, and quick and efficient, and that's partly because they're able to recapture the energy through regenerative braking. So you think in terms of a gas-powered vehicle, as soon as you got a really big, powerful engine, it's all waste. Um, turbos help, superchargers help, all that stuff is is good. But generally speaking, more power equals lower efficiency. But in an electric, if you have a big electric motor, that's also a big electric generator, which helps you get some of that juice back to put into the battery. So it's fascinating that these vehicles can be both quick 
uh, and powerful and efficient as well because they can recapture. So if you're if you're adding motors to trailers and stuff like that, it it, it might have an interesting effect. Yeah, the I think at the LA Auto Show going back to last November, I think it was the case there, and maybe it was the case in New York. The three uh, EV companies that were I think would probably be safe to say the most prominent was Rivian with the pickup truck and and at some point the SUV and Lucid was uh, showing something there and uh, VinFast made its debut in in Los Angeles and I wondered if particularly if VinFast was in New York and its new approach to I think I think this is the correct term you're going to lease the electric battery is that is that right and and did they have a presence there and what did you make of that Joe Well relative in, in relative terms they had a huge presence yes. uh for a newcomer uh VinFast had two uh actually three vehicles on the stand they had the VF8 which is a five seat midsize SUV they had the VF9, which is a three-row, I guess, uh, seven-seater. But that was uh, a concept or a mock-up. It didn't have an interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also had a sleek-looking thing called the VF7. I'm not sure the status of that one. But they actually had one of those VF8s down uh, downstairs as well on the uh, the track. So the VF8 and VF9 are the ones that they say are, are, are starting, are going to be on sale by the end of this year. At least the VF8 will be. Uh, and you're right. One of the things they're uh, suggesting is, and it's not a requirement, I think it might just be an option to lease the battery. So you pay less for the vehicle and then lease the battery. So then it's meant to take away any concerns people have, and we know it's a concern for consumers, that the battery uh, will lose too much capacity over time or just outright die because then it's not your problem. It could be replaced. I think the from what I've seen of their plan, it's a little confusing, and I'm not sure that's helping them, but I, I, I support the idea. I like the idea that you're leasing the battery, uh, and uh, I don't blame them at all for trying it. Um, I, I'm really interested to see how that goes. The vehicles themselves, for what it's worth, they look pretty good in person. Yeah, um, they did. <laughs> they really did. I th- um, I didn't want to Andy. be too gushing, but we—I was really impressed with their presentation. Just like you're saying, they had a lot going on, and I think the IPO yeah. is coming up. And I'm not a stock guy so much, but it'll be really interesting to see how the public um, comes right. around to that. We've been burned in the past by new new brands that say they're coming to the country from from Asia in particular. But for what it's worth, uh, my understanding is VinFast is is a, is a branch of 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 a. $35 billion company called Vin Group. Yes. And they seem pretty serious about this. And the in, the interior, I thought the materials were pretty good, and they have a, a kind of a Tesla approach where they have one big touchscreen in the middle yes. of the dashboard, no instrument panel, but everything has seemed kind of well thought out. Uh, I did not get to ride in the one that was downstairs, but I sat in, in, the, in the one that was on there their display and uh, uh, sure it passes. Yeah. Yeah. We were looking at uh, Polestar back at the LA auto show mm-hmm. last year and we were, we thought it was a good looking car and I've seen a couple of them on the road. So they actually are delivering it in some manner cars mm-hmm. now. Was there, I'm sure Polestar was there at uh, New York. I did not see Polestar at New York. Um, and I, 
I actually didn't see Volvo either come to think of it. So I don't think uh, that maybe that falls under the, the luxury, uh, the missing luxury brands. Um, but uh, I like the, the Polestar 2 that I drove. I think my only issue with it was that it was, it's, it wasn't very efficient, which affects, and, and EVs, efficiency affects range and charging speed. Uh, but interesting enough, that was also true of the Volvo XC40 recharge. It's called the all-electric version of the XC40, and they share a powertrain, and they made a change to the software for 2022 that increased the efficiency and the range of the XC40 recharge, and I think they might have done the same to the Polestar. So it's fascinating that you can buy a vehicle with a certain range, and then over the air they can send you an update that makes it better. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to go too far. I mean, there are limitations that can't be overcome, but uh, that's that's an interesting one. Joe, I was going to go back to um, an earlier topic, and that is, I've referenced this before, and I think I think it still holds up. It took about what twenty years for people to come around to hybrids with the Prius um, getting you know, infiltrating the market on some you know three percent or four percent still primarily in California and Arizona and, and speaking a little politically here, a little more liberal or forward states. Um, in your experience, even though we're in the industry, do you think that there's a trend for the public to come around to EVs? Is it still, I'm, not, I'm never going to go there attitude and why should I do that? Why should I change my driving habits? Or do you see, well, do you the, see a changing? At, yeah, at the turn of the decade, just a couple of years ago, I, we were still pretty doubtful that they would make a big change by the end of this decade. I think, oddly enough, the invasion of Ukraine and the high gas prices, the, the record highs and the sustained highs are probably going to help convince a lot more consumers that their next purchase uh, should be something more efficient, and in this case, possibly an electric. The unfortunate problem is that uh, when gas prices are high is exactly the worst time to buy a, a new car, and especially a, an efficient one. And that's always been the case, even with hybrids, but with electrics as well. And electrics were already limited in supply, you know, in, in, in one regard, before all of these supply line shortages. I mean, look at the Hyundai Ioniq 5, which is one of the best new ones. It's sold in only 26 states to begin with. It's a slow rollout. Yes. I mean, there's a fair amount of competition around the world for these models. And there are some countries that want them more than we do, frankly. I mean, this country has been pretty slow to embrace uh, electric vehicles. And you know, I think in some cases there's probably more margin in it uh, in other countries as well. So that was before we had high, high gas prices raising the price even further. So it, it, it's it's unfortunate that this interest in EVs is coming at a time when a uh, inventories are so slim to begin with, and b we're all essentially being taxed by high gas prices, and now some inflation as well. Um, it's, it, let's not forget one big, big thing, which is that they're still not for everybody. Yes. Um, if you live in an apartment and you can't charge at home, or you don't live in an apartment and you can't charge at home, EVs as they exist today are not for you because public charging is not a quick, satisfying, 
fun <laughs> uh, experience, and oftentimes uh, it wipes out any cost advantage to driving electric. Um, a lot of companies are giving free um, DC fast charging for a couple of years, um, but you know, too much of that isn't necessarily good for the battery pack, according to the manufacturers themselves. So there's a long way to go. I keep hearing from these manufacturers saying, oh, in five years or in 10 years, we're going to be 100% electric. I'm just, I want to ask them, are you solving that problem that not everyone can buy one? That's a very And what to do with the batteries when they're done? What to do with the batteries, yes. Um, Joe, well, that's uh, another one. That's another yeah. problem. In in the in the niche of the niche world, um, I've really enjoyed the times I've driven uh, two of the three uh, hydrogen cars that are available. Bruce and I, um, I hated them. He, he, Bruce hated it, <laughs> and we went to L.A. in, in the um, in the Hyundai. Um, what was it called, Bruce? Uh, help me with that. The Nero. I think Nero. it was the Nero. I think so. Yeah, and um, we. Even though the apps that we had on our phones said that the charging station was were open, they were either problematic or they weren't open, and we, you know, we got delayed a few times, and it was um, not a smooth uh, drive down there and drive back. I had a yep. much better experience in the Clarity. I haven't driven the Mirai, but um, I'm leading up to the question to ask your expertise: Is it is it a, a dead issue, or do you think that there's still some light for the hydrogen world? Honestly, I have been so skeptical of hydrogen, but for uh, one thing, which is I know a lot of really smart people at smart companies that have really believed in them. And, I mean, they're just another kind of electric vehicle. Yes. Uh, I really, I just think the problem is, is that's where the real infrastructure problem is. Like people look at electrics and say, oh, there aren't enough charging stations. And I say that's not really the problem. The problem is once you find one, if it's even working, you're there too long. And if it's the slightest bit cold out, it takes even longer. And and the, the cars are the issue. It's the battery technology that makes that process slow. It's not the chargers. Where you look at having hydrogen uh, available in public to fill a car like that, that is, that's a taller order than, yes. than charging. And I don't want to downplay how much 400 plus volts of, of electricity is um, in a charging station. I mean, it's not nothing. Uh, it's a pretty big investment. But um, it, I mean, there, there was talk at some point that, that to have a, a, a really serviceable uh, hydrogen station. It needs to be cryogenic. It needs to be, you know, uh, you know, cold. That is like sub, sub, sub freezing. I don't even know what the temperatures are uh, to keep it liquid uh, in order for it to be, uh, you know, really serviceable. As opposed to just pressurized gas, because the pressurized gas would just run out too fast, and that's not a, a, a business model that would work. And I don't know that who who can invest in a cryogenic. Uh, hydrogen refueling station. So, again, good, good uh, points. I, 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 I like the idea of having a diversified portfolio. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what electric is, because you can, you can fill a battery with, with electricity from just about any uh, uh, source. And if renewables are available, that's the best one. Um, hydrogen is not a fuel. It's a, it's a, a means of 
storing and transferring electricity, but you still got to you still have to make use electricity to make that hydrogen gas. So there are questions about the efficiency of that as well. Sure. Well, and the performance of the cars aren't there either. I mean, that's one good thing about electrics. They uh, you can squirt a lot of juice into those motors and really make it go. And I guess they they hold back because there's not a lot of battery in a uh, a um, hydrogen uh, fuel cell car. Yeah, I think they would have to make the fuel cells much bigger to produce that much electricity, enough electricity to make them quicker. And the fuel cell itself is, pro- at this point, still, I think, prohibitively expensive. Yes. Yes. Um, Joe, in another area, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but some of the companies, whether we saw it in L.A. or you've seen it at other shows, the companies that have wanted to be players, um, Byton comes to mind, um, Berlinger, um, Elio, um, is there Meridian. a, yes, yeah, is, is there a, is there a way to, in general terms, say, are these, uh, people who thought they could be in the mix with big aspirations and some money and very bad planning, or is there, is it for all different reasons that these companies that look pretty good going in, particularly the Byton, I really like that car a lot and it's, it's never going to happen. And Elio's not going to happen. That's on the other end of the spectrum, of course. And Berlinger, I think maybe they're going into some industrial area. I'm not quite sure. But do you have a good take on on what those companies are all about? Why were they here one day and gone the next, so to speak? Well, I, I mean, I, I gotta, I'll be honest. We don't pay too close attention. Back to what I said before about getting burned. We don't pay too close attention to vehicles until they're either real or we're pretty sure they're going to be real products because yes. we've got a lot of real products right. to cover as it is. We're very busy. Yes. I mean, and I think Elio is the one that's a three-wheeler, is it not? It was, yeah. I think it was, yes. Yeah, and we don't, we don't, cover, we don't cover anything that doesn't have four wheels. Uh, and, and that's one of those areas that you look at and you think, wow, that's a neat idea, but you cannot forget that people just – people are not that – wild about change. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a vehicle that's just the slightest bit different. And I thought that's going to be a huge hit because it's an in-between size. And that like the four, old Forester, the Forester, Subaru Forester used to be an in-between size. And I thought that's terrific. They really got that locked down. Uh, and no one else has something like this. Being unique must be a great thing. And then they made the Forester roughly the same size and look as everything else in the market and I thought it was a big mistake. And naturally, they started selling about 10 times as many as they used to. So <laughs> There you uh, go. What do you know? I, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, what I what I've finally learned is what I was just pointing out, which is people don't, I mean, three wheels, mm, it's not going to be a big seller. Right. Uh, and uh, as for the others, I don't have enough insight into the companies to know. Um, but it's it remains interesting to see what, uh, I mean, I, we could go on for hours about Tesla, what Tesla has been able to accomplish and what, just by by being in it as long as they have been and by being pretty brilliant in some regards, though we don't love everything about their vehicles. No. Um, it took me a while to recognize some of what they did and why it was a smart move. Uh, and then I started seeing some of it in other vehicles and said, aha, yes. they're picking up on this. Um, 
Plus our charging They're stations. They're responsible for everyone else saying, we, we need to do this and we can do this. You changed the, the auto industry. He changed the auto industry, that's for sure. Absolutely. It changed, it changed what established automakers are doing, and it's made others, startups, think they can do the same thing, and they probably can. Joe, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up with one f- more question. Since you are the executive editor of Cars.com, what, um, in, in general terms, the public should look at the site? What do you guys have going on that's new and improved? Or, or what's the, for lack of a better way of saying it, what, how do you want to pitch, um, in a good context of the word, um, Cars.com? What's happening on the, on the site? Well, um, everything that we talk about, talked about today and, and everything that we cover for on EVs and non-EVs for that matter is is accessible from cars.com slash news. That's where we in the editorial department do our business. But you can also check out what we're doing is our second live stream event, which is it's called The Guide for the EV Curious. We've kept that name somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be on April 28th. I think not sure when you're running this. I don't know if that's going to be enough time. Sure. Uh, but uh, people can just go to cars.com to the main URL, and right up on top it says, Ask Us About EVs Live. And it's going to be some you know, little mini-reviews uh, of, of the vehicles we mentioned before, our top picks for EVs, but we're also just going to take questions. Um, Great. So there's a banner up top. You can click on it, register, and you'll get a reminder that it's going to go live in the middle of the day on the 28th. Uh, first one we did was was very successful. So much interest in EVs and so much like misunderstanding about them, even now more than a decade into this you know resurgence, that we we realized we needed to keep doing this and taking those questions. Perfect. Hey Joe, thanks. We we have a. You know, we, like you said earlier, we could spend the whole day, but this is enough for the, this episode. And uh, thanks for all of your expertise and kind of filling us in on New York and what you guys have going on cars.com. So we want to thank Joe Weisenfelder, the executive editor of cars.com, for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. It's uh, been a pleasure, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure was mine. Thanks much. Thank you. Bye.